the, uh, the scenes that we've been talking about, uh, Pastor Tedrick has been exploring in terms of these snapshots uh, of, of heaven. And in this scene, we have the temple. We, we've already uh, shifted from what's happening on the ground and the edicts to the churches on the ground to what is happening in heaven. And this is, this is uh, as we've been saying, very important for understanding how the book of Revelation is to be interpreted. It isn't successive chronological events that we can coordinate to what's going on in our world today. It's really different snapshots of what is true of the whole period between Christ's two comings. And so while things are kind of rough on the ground, Jesus, through John, wants to comfort his people that their hope is secure in heaven. This is what's going on in heaven. Uh, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Raise your hand if, if you felt like a conqueror this week. <laughs> you know, uh, But that is what we are. Because we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. We're objectively conquerors in Jesus Christ. And yet on the ground, it doesn't look like that. And we see that very clearly now when we look at the throne scene in Revelation chapter 5. And then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. We'll begin there. Uh, first of all, the, uh, it, you know, the, it's, it's so woven throughout the apocalypse that Jesus Christ has ascended as the firstfruits. Sort of like the, the engine of the train has made it into the station. It's only a matter of time before the rest of the cars arrive. We are in Christ. And so what has happened to him and because of him must happen to us. There's a great line from Calvin where he says, Christ today considers himself in some measure imperfect until we are raised and glorified together with him because he is our, our head and we are his body. Isn't that beautiful to think about? He, he's, he, he considers himself incomplete without his bride, incomplete without his body, his ecclesial uh, body. And so what has happened to Christ must happen to us. Obje that's why we're objectively conquerors, even though it doesn't look like it or feel like it necessarily uh, on the ground. The conquerors are actually suffering below, but this chapter underscores the point that this is exactly the path that Jesus tread. This is the trail Jesus has blazed for us. And there is a sea of glass uh, 
in this, in this scene, still the sea of glass that we had in chapter 4, and the sea of glass is symbolic of a, a, a floor. For heaven, it's the floor. For earth, it's the ceiling. Just to underscore once again that, that you know, under that ceiling, under that, under that, uh, uh, that, that, that sea of glass in heaven is a turbulent ocean of chaos and destruction. Everything that we see on CNN <laughs> happening below, but it's a sea of glass above. Always in the book of Revelation, sea of glass, uh, and there is no more sea. When it says there is no more sea, I saw no, no sea there. Uh, that doesn't mean that in the new heavens and earth that there won't be any where to fish. Um, it means that there, will no, there won't be violence. It won't be turbulent. The, 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 the sea, the Mediterranean, represented to people danger, threat. And there will be no more sea just means there will be no more threat. There will be, be no more violence. Um, the 24 elders cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. That's in chapter 4, verse 11. So there are 24 elders, which, which means 12, the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles, a merging of uh, the tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles. This is the church. So when pe people make a sharp division between the church and Israel, you, you can go to passages like this and, and show them. The 24 elders are the, he the heads of the tribes and the 12 apostles together worshiping around the same throne, unity of Old Testament and New Testament. But while that first hymn, sung by these 24 elders focused on God as creator, this new song focuses on God as redeemer in Jesus Christ. So we have three things very briefly, the scroll, the lamb, and the new song. Um, worthiness is a very big topic in not only this chapter, but throughout the book of Revelation. He who is worthy, those who are worthy, being worthy, look for someone worthy, you know, worthiness is a, it, it runs throughout the book of Revelation. And it's sad because no one's worthy. Looked around, the 24 elders even weren't worthy. And there was no one in heaven, no angel, no, no human being in heaven, on the earth or under the earth, who could be found worthy to open the scroll or even to look into it. See, the scroll is the meaning of history. It is, it is totally opaque to us. We cannot, we cannot open that book. People want to, right? Even especially at times like this, people want to connect the daily news to the book of Revelation and say, well, this is why this, this, this is the fulfillment of that and so on and so forth. You, you can't look into the book. No one could look into the book no one was worthy. 
No one was worthy to look into the book to see the meaning of God's providence in history. What is God doing in history? No one was able to do it. And that's all to set the scene for the one who could, the one who was worthy to open the seals. Um, If you have your Bibles, turn to Ezekiel 2. Get a little bit of uh, an echo, I think, of Ezekiel 2 in this passage, beginning at verse 9. Um, This is the, the call to Ezekiel as a prophet. Son of man, stand on your feet and I will speak with you. And as he spoke to me, the Spirit entered into me and set me on my feet, and I heard him speaking to me, and so forth. Now you go down to verse 9. Um, and I looked, when I looked, behold, a hand was stretched out to me, and behold, a scroll of a book was in it. And he spread it before me, and it had writing on the front and the back. So this is very significant because by the time of John, there, wa- there were scrolls with writing on the front and the back. They were mainly Roman contracts. But you couldn't write on the back of uh, papyri and, um, and vellum. Vellum, you know, uh, the hide of an animal. Uh, you, you've probably, you know, seen the hide of the animal. You might have, have clean... Uh, side that you could write on, you turn it over and it's just kind of ratty. That's vellum. And papyrus, the same. Hard to write on, on, uh, on both sides. But this was one that had writing on both sides, just as we have in Revelation. And there were written on it words of lamentation and mourning and woe. And he said to me, son of man, Eat whatever you find here, eat this scroll, and go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he gave me the scroll to eat. And he said to me, Son of man, feed your belly with this scroll that I give you, and fill your stomach with it. And I ate it, and it was in my mouth as sweet as honey. And he said to me, Son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak with my words to them. Um, so this scroll is the word of God. This scroll is... God's, specifically, God's judgment for breaking the covenant. And that echo, I think, is pretty clear here in, uh, in Revelation 5. It's sealed with seven seals. Remember, seven is complete. Seven is perfect. It's the number of perfection. And whether it's perfect good or perfect evil, sometimes, you know, you have seven applied to the Antichrist. Uh, but it's perfection, perfection either in good or, or a bad context. Uh, no one is worthy to break the seals. No one is worthy to bring about God's purposes in history except the one who has given his life for his sheep. And what's remarkable is that it's not just because of who he is as God, it's because he laid down his life for his people. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. 
In other words, this, was the, this is the climax of history. This is the key to history. We may not understand why we you know, go to the doctor and hear the verdict that we have cancer or we have uh, tragedies at work or at home. We may not know, be able to figure that stuff out, but here's what we can figure out. We know what God was doing 33 A.D., that first Good Friday. Exactly where we would have thought God was the weakest and had failed at that very moment he was conquering. That's the, that's the reason for the paradox, both of our lives as Christians united to Christ and of his experience and his humiliation. And we see what's executed in the scrolls in chapter 6. I won't steal Pastor Tedrick's thunder, uh, literally, because that's what you have in chapter 6. But it, it would help us to understand, but I'm not going to go into his territory. It would help us to understand, well, I'll just say this much. It's the execution of God's judgments. That's when the judgments start happening. So... Only Jesus Christ can execute those judgments because he's the meaning of it all. He's the one who has conquered Satan, death, and hell and can pour out the wrath of God on uh, the enemies of his kingdom. That's the scroll, then the lamb. Uh, he's called, first of all, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Here's the paradox again. He's called a lion first, then he's called a lamb. Proud lion, slain lamb. That paradox. Here's Jacob's blessing of Judah in Genesis 49. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down to you or before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down, he crouched as a lion, and as a lioness, who dares rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall belong the obedience of all the peoples. Isn't that very similar to the scene here? Binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine, he has washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth are whiter than milk. Not blessing on the tribe of Judah. He's the, he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. But he's also the root of David. Uh, we've gotten before, especially in Isaiah, the, the, the phrase uh, branch from the tree of Jesse, a branch from, from uh, Jesse's line, Jesse being the father of David. Uh, he's, a, he's a branch from David. He's a son of David. But here, he, he's, it's emphasized throughout, that this is God. This is someone more than a mere descendant physically of David. He's the root of David, as in uh, Mark 12, do you remember when, 
when uh, Jesus says, okay, explain this one, Pharisees. Here's a little riddle for you. How, how can, in the Psalms, David uh, uh, be called uh, 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 both servant and Lord? Who's his Lord? Uh, and Jesus, of course, uh, uh, before, Abraham, before Abraham was, I am, in John's gospel, he makes it clear uh, in this vision to John in the Revelation as well that he is not a branch of Jesse merely. He is according to his humanity, but he's also the root. He's, he's David's Lord as well as David's seed. So the lamb alone is worthy because he is the one seed in whom all the families of the earth are blessed, the seed of the woman who crushes the serpent seed, the son of David, who defeats God's enemies and gives Israel rest on every side, the son of man to whom all people now bow in worship, we find in Daniel 7 and 11, he's at the center of the scroll. He's the lead character. The scroll is about him and his triumph. As he says at the beginning of this vision, and I hold the keys of death and hell. Behold, I died, but I'm alive now forevermore, and I hold the keys of death and hell. And so he's the suffering conqueror. And this is, again, the paradox of the, 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 the conqueror and uh, the seeming conquered, uh, the, the, the one who executes judgment and the one who seems to be judged. The conquering lion is now the slain lamb, but on his throne. He's in a different situation now. He looks as though he's been slain. He's got the, these scars, still bearing these scars, but he's on a throne. He's on a different throne than he was on when he was lifted up so that everyone who looks at him may have everlasting life. As, as Calvin said, never was a greater throne erected than that Roman gibbet on which our Lord was hanged. But not that th that's not the throne he's sitting on. He's th sitting at the right hand of the Father in power and glory. conquering lamb, that paradox of a conquering lamb, not a lion that was slain, but a lamb that, that was slain for us. Our lives, too, share in that paradox. Outwardly, it doesn't look glorious. Outwardly, it doesn't look like we're sitting on thrones with Jesus. Remember, he said just in the previous chapter, you'll sit on my throne with me? Doesn't feel like that. Outwardly, the church doesn't look like that's true. But it is in heaven. It may be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus had, or the, the, the uh, lamb had seven horns and seven eyes symbolizing complete 
omniscience and omnipotence. The seven horns are, horns were a symbol of power, uh, like crowns, and then the eyes are, of course, looking everywhere. He has, uh, you know, we, we all say of our mothers, they have eyes in the back of their heads. Um, these are eyes everywhere, looking at everything at every time, and the, the symbol there is that he knows all, he sees all, he takes notes. He, he's, he's taking note of everything that's going on in the suffering church around the world. It also fits with the approbation Jesus gives to the churches of Smyrna and Philadelphia. Remember a few weeks ago, uh, talk, the edicts to the churches? They were the two that kind of got off pretty well uh, without a serious warning of being cut off. Smyrna and Philadelphia, and, and, and remember the, the, the conclusion we drew from that was that these are the, the two churches that did what he said at the end all churches need to do, and that is persevere through suffering. That's what conquering means. Conquering does not mean getting a trophy. Conquering means surviving it. <laughs> surviving it and being a witness Enduring the suffering while witnessing anyway, even if it brings more suffering, that's faithfulness. That's conquest. And that is what has brought Christianity to every nation on earth. Finally, the new song. It's the same choir, just a different hymn. The first hymn was about God as creator. The second hymn is God as redeemer. Not only do they fall before the Lamb in worship, but they present to Him the prayers of all the saints. Notice that believers don't pray to the four living creatures and the 24 elders, but this choir holds up symbolically golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. What about the song? Well, the song is about the king's conquest. They sing a new song, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. thought about that as we were singing uh, Psalm 65 this morning. Uh, what a beautiful fulfillment of God's plans to enlarge the tents of Israel. Had a um, great time with uh, Dallas Seminary uh, Biblical Faculty. They had a retreat and they had zoomed me in to talk about covenant theology versus dispensationalism. Uh, had a wonderful talk. They're, they're terrific people. But I went through passages like this and uh, they, they, they seem like they're all over the place in the book of Revelation. They're certainly all over the place elsewhere, but that the church is different in the new covenant than it was in the old, old covenant. That there, the, the, the unity is the Abrahamic promise, the Abrahamic covenant, but now it's not just a geopolitical nation that is identified with the church, there is no geopolitical aspect 
uh, to the church at all. It's universal. But this was the promise made to Abraham from the beginning. In you, in your seed, singular, as Paul underscores, Christ, all the families of the earth will be blessed. It wasn't, and in, it, eventually, you know, you're going to, you're going to have uh, um, restoration in the Middle East. It was one seed is going to come who's going to bring blessing to all the families of the earth. This is going to be a worldwide family. And so the 24 elders celebrate this great ingathering of the peoples prophesied in the Old Testament. Think of what Paul says in Ephesians 3.6, this mystery hidden in ages past, this great mystery of the is that the Gentiles now are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the same promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Isn't that beautiful? That's why you, you and I are here. And it's a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Once again, these are all, these are all code for Israel. Israel is a holy nation, a kingdom of priests to our God. But now it's applied to this universal church, one holy Catholic and apostolic church, and they shall reign on the earth. Heaven will literally be on earth. In fact, as you get further into the book, there, any distinction between heaven and earth is obliterated. We shall reign on the earth. Not just playing harps, bouncing on clouds, uh, singing kumbaya, but we'll, we'll be actually uh, living, working, playing, ruling with Christ on earth forever. What a comfort for people who are suffering. And then the swelling chorus, myriads of myriads, I looked and I heard all around the throne, living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads. That's hundreds of millions. Can you imagine that big of a choir? I mean, that just blows the, the Mormon tabernacle out of, out of the sea right there. I mean, uh, hundreds of millions of angels singing. And thousands of thousands sang with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. How many epithets are used there? Seven. A sevenfold attribution of praise to the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the Lamb. No one was worthy. Cried and looked around. There is no one to help, no one, no human being, no one else, no political party, no one who can help save the world. And he cried until the lamb was introduced, and he rejoiced. Worthy is the lamb. 
to receive power, wealth, wisdom, might, honor, glory, and blessing. And the whole creation then joins in the song. Not just people, but fish, (laughs) birds. However they do in their own way, express their joy, joy to the world. As far as the curse is found, He has come to make all things new. And the four living creatures, verse 14, the last verse, and the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Any questions or comments? Or This is a really, this is high Christology here. This is Jesus Christ as God. He is one with the Father. Isn't it amazing? And, and you think of Peter. Peter, who at first really had trouble with Paul and the Gentile mission. You know, I don't, I don't know how this is. I don't know how this is going to go. And then he was hypocritical. He, you know, like have hot dogs on Fourth of July, and uh, have pork on his breath. And Paul said, "What a hypocrite!" So, but he, now Peter's. By the time he's writing Holy Scripture, he. He says that this Jew-Gentile church, this, this church made up of every tribe, kindred, tongue, people, and nation, even if they do eat hot dogs, this group is the holy priesthood, the holy nation, the chosen nation, the holy priesthood, uh, the kingdom of, of priests who are God. Like, oh my goodness, he's just handed over the keys. He's basically said, It's greater than anything that, that has ever happened to God's people in the past. The tents of Israel have been enlarged. And now everybody grabs the, hand, the, 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 the garment of a Jew saying, take me to your leader. Anything else? Yeah. Oh, it was great. It was great. It was one, one of the Old Testament professors said, uh, you get, who really disagreed, pushed back at the beginning, also said, um, well, and have you considered this verse and that verse? And I, Thank you. I, those are great, fantastic verses for this. Uh, I'll, I'll credit you in, in the footnotes next time I... You know, oh, no, don't, don't. <laughs> We had really good conversations, and they're they're kind of, they're moving away from the old line dispensationalism to what they call progressive dispensationalism. But it's still Israel versus the church. I don't know how you can, you know, not only with what Paul says, broken down in his body by his death, the curtain has been torn, but also just how these epithets are now applied to the one holy Catholic and apostolic church, and you have the, 12, the 24 elders, tribes, apostles, united in one chorus, all of this, I just don't know how you make uh, a separation between Israel and the church um, and think there's still going to be in the future uh, um, um, 
resurrection of the of the temple and the sacrificial system and and all of that. But uh, yeah, it's at least we're not in the Hal Lindsey days. <laughs> okay, well, thank you for your patience and um, what a wonderful chapter, huh? Let me pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, just as the uh, 24 elders said amen and fell down and worshiped, so we worship you, we worship your Son, and we worship your Holy Spirit, three in one. We thank you for providing for our life and health as our Creator. We thank you for that song. We sing that song, but we have a an even greater song to sing. Thank, thanks for our redemption. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain and purchased for you people from every tribe and kindred and tongue and people and nation and made them to be a kingdom of priests who will reign on the earth forever. In Jesus' name, amen.